0: Banks are big game hunters. Guess who is the game? Happy 120th birthday, George. Australian government goes all well on the people. And the case of the ungrateful little proxy upstart. Coming up on this week's episode of the Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizen's Report. It's the 14th of July, 2023. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party founder and leader, Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Thanks,
1: Robbie. Good to be back. been a while. It
0: has been a while. It's good to have you back. Mm. Um, in this week's episode, we are going to talk about actually a big victory we've had over the banks, but the, the events that show the true nature of the banks, what we're dealing with. Um, but the victory part's important and it's because we, of the kind of focus we put on this issue through our show. We're going to talk about the new communications bill that the government wants to introduce and we want people to make submissions telling the government to take a hike. This, this bill is to censor social media um, and we'll give you the, the reasons to be concerned about that or the reasons we're concerned about I think people will share that. And we're going to talk about the, the, the wheels are falling off over there in Ukraine, Craig. The, the, the charade is falling apart. Well, The use of cluster bombs, Robbie, is, is disgusting
1: beyond yep. belief.
0: And, it's, and, that, and that itself shows that they've been lying to us about... If Ukraine was winning, victorious, morally superior, none of this would happen, right? But there's other there, the, um, uh, the, the powers that be are letting Zelensky know that he's there to be used, right? He's a, and he, he looks like he's not happy. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into all that. But um, before we begin, remember, this show's quite important. Help us get it around as much as possible. And the way you can do that is like it. Um, share it through your social media um, platforms. Please subscribe if you're not a subscriber when you do ring the bell icon. Um, comment below. The comments are quite important and as I can I try to engage with the comments um, as, uh, you know, the, as time allows but please do that. The more, that, the more comments the more it um, uh, attracts attention and donate. We're not just uh, commentators we are activists. We're, no. We are trying to change the things that we're talking about and we are changing the things we talk about and we can only do it with your support.
1: Yeah, Robin, it's, uh, you know, we've come to the end of the financial year and we've had a lot of people donate through this channel. Thank you for that. It's a big help. I mean, we're not funded by you know, corporate donors. We're not funded by the government. Mm-hmm. It's all done by thousands of individual people putting their hand into their pocket and saying, look, we'll give you a hand. And you can do that on the website at any time. But, I mean, we've just, as I said, finished the financial year. And, uh, and you, you can know. also
0: buy merchandise, right? Craig, you are sport one of our... This, is we, not, this was not actually pre-planned. He just happened to turn up, and I accused him of, of uh, casual Friday. No, but
1: I like our range. I mean, we've put together <laughs> a range of really good quality uh, uh, shirts. Yeah, This is a jacket, wool jacket. Uh, we've got all sorts of different things. You yeah, can good. see it on the website, and they're all available for sale. Hopefully, we've got your size. Uh, but... Uh, You know, it's good quality material. And it's cold down here in Melbourne, so I'd like to wear a wool jacket.
0: Craig, just on the donations and and the way we are uniquely funded, I'll point out um, Peter Dutton made news in the last week or so because he complained about West Farmers, um, which is one of Australia's biggest corporations, donating to The Voice, right? Um, He didn't point out that West Farmers also donates to the Liberal Party. Uh Now, (laughs) years ago, we actually said, if you want a political system where which is not corrupted by money. It should be a system where only individuals get to donate. And because why should a corporation donate shareholders? Why should the current managers of a corporation donate shareholders money? Why should union leaders donate their members' money if the members haven't specifically approved of that? Right. But that's how the major parties are funded. We're the only party in Australia funded entirely from
1: the private donations of individuals, And as we've seen, Robbie, they also use electorate offices that are paid by <laughs> the taxpayer to do jobs in the electorate to work in electoral campaigns. And we've yep. seen this up in Fadden, and we see it all the time, that the taxpayer's money is used by the parties yep. to fund their political activities yep. when it comes back to re-election. I think the red shirt's down here in... Uh, Caused a real stink in 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 the Labour Party a few years back.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Fadden because it's it's Friday the 14th, which means tomorrow is the by-election in Fadden. We have run an excellent campaign up there, um, with the caveat that it turned you know when you commit to a campaign, you don't know how many are going to run in one of these by-elections, right? So it is a horse race. But Jan Picullis has been the most active person on the ground. And what we'll do is I'll put the link below of her campaign website. Take the time to click on that and look at the photos. You'll see how dynamic the -the on-the-ground activity was. And Jan basically ran on two issues. A postal bank, a a, um, national post office people's bank, and um, no no to AUKUS and no to war. Uh, And she's focused on those issues and um, has got quite a bit of attention. So we'll see how it goes. We're we're definitely not expecting to win, but you never know. Um, miracles, Miracles happen. Um, what we do with these campaigns is use them as a vehicle to keep getting our word out, educate people, because in terms of what you're supporting, we're about to go through it. We, are, we keep having victories in the campaigns that we're focused on, right? So let's get into that now. Um, banks are big game hunters. Guess who is the game? We're going to get to that in a minute. And I think you can already guess who is the game. Hint, hint, you might be, I might be looking at you. <laughs> it might look like I'm looking at you. Um, but first of all, we did have a victory. And this is, the, this is the second case we now have of a big bank backing down because of the current inquiry into regional bank closures by the Senate um, Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport Committee. Uh, so last Friday, um, and Craig, last unfortunately last week we, we shot the show on Thursday, so we weren't able to cover this. Last Friday, um, the, the, the word got around that the town of Juni, which was the town that fought so hard to save its last bank, the CBA branch, the town of Juni had had a three-year reprieve. Um, the local member of parliament texted James Davis, the CEO of junee Shire Council, saying uh, Commonwealth Bank's not going to close the junee branch until at least uh, 2026. So a three-year moratorium on, on closure, but it turned out that was actually a general announcement. Three-year moratorium on closures of all Commonwealth Bank regional branches across Australia. Right? That's what the Commonwealth Bank did. Now, they did not, and neither did Westpac, come into 2023 intending to back off on branch closures. They have an agenda, they all have an agenda, um, but they got we got in the way. Our inquiry got in the way. The work of Dale Webster and Martin North in, in, in requesting the inquiry. Uh, Jared Rennick, the Liberal Senator who got the inquiry up, who last Friday, Craig, was dumped by his party. Mm-hmm. The Liberal Party of Queensland did a pre, had a pre selection vote. They dumped the single most popular politician in Australia on social media because of the things, the causes that Jared takes up. And whether you agree with Jared or don't agree with Jared on those causes, they're all the same type. He's, t- he's representing the people against the powerful. And he's done that as well on this banking issue. So he's the one who, had it was a bit of a, a, a dicey thing because his own side had got up this regional banking task force a year earlier, which had been garbage, mm. utter garbage. So what Jared did in pushing for this inquiry, he knew was going to be an embarrassment to some people on his own side, right? But he did it anyway. We got the inquiry up and suddenly these banks have found themselves under unprecedented yeah, yeah. scrutiny, right? Um, so the first bank to back down was Westpac. They they had eight branch closures planned and they reversed those a few months ago. People remember that. And now CBA has gone and put, and put a three-year moratorium on any regional bank closures. But Craig, because we're dealing with banks, um, what you learn is they never do any of this stuff out of the goodness of their heart. <laughs> so when they say, when a bank says something like, Okay, we'll put a moratorium on any regional bank closures. You actually have to understand that every single word they've said is precisely intended to mean something. And what, so what was the fine print? It's only regional banks, and then they would quibble as to the definition of regional banks because there's some banks like the Narang Commonwealth Bank, which should be classed as regional, but they'll class as metropolitan, right? So they'll fiddle on the sides there. And then this doesn't apply to the Bank West customers. Now, West, Bank West is a wholly owned subsidiary of Commonwealth Bank in mm-hmm. Western Australia, right? There's 37 regional branches of, of Bank West in Western Australia. This moratorium doesn't apply to them. And you think, well, what's wrong with, what's, you know, what, what the hell, why the hell not? Like, why do you have to be such a-holes, <laughs> right? Even when you want to look like you're doing something good, you have to have fine print there that says, no, 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 it's going to be very, very, this very, very limited thing right? So that's just the reality of what you're dealing with um, with these banks. They are um, uh, the, the, the only things they, they do that are good are the things they are
1: forced into doing. The Be- good news is we're forced them into doing because it. Because they're private institutions, they're totally focused on profits, yep. not the public good, not the general welfare. Yep. And the disgusting thing is that today the Labor Party has none of the previous ancestral, you might call it, qualities of the old Labor Party, and I was reading up on this because you know Chifley is a is a hero in in our in our books, our organisation's yeah. books, and in 1947 he called for the nationalisation of the banks, and ironically you were, you were calling for the same thing for the National <laughs> Australia Bank because we need their name plus yeah. they're also assholes, yeah, yeah. right? In, in the sense of their branch closures, but the interesting thing was you know. The, the truth of the matter came out because the intention of na- uh, chiefly to nationalise the banks was in the public good. It was to stop the profiteering and put the general interest of the economy and the people first. And it, look, this was stated stated Labor Party policy for, for, for a long, 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 long time. So in 1945, there was a bit of a setback when they the Melbourne uh, City Council challenged the power of the government to dictate that all local councils should bank with the Commonwealth Bank, because the idea was to keep as much credit in a centralised national bank like the Commonwealth Bank for direction into the economy. But unfortunately, the the, the, the High Court at that time uh, voted in favour of the Melbourne City Council, and that meant that uh, Chifley and the others didn't just go away and, you know, tell between the legs. They said, OK, well, this proves we have to have even more powers. Let's nationalise the banks.
0: Because specifically, what they had, what Chifley and, the, uh, and his cabinet knew was, they had a reasonable policy of the Commonwealth Bank's powers during World War II were 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 really broad, but it worked. And they said, let's keep that going. The the Melbourne City Council Craig is on Swanston Street, but it's on the corner, of, essentially on the corner of Swanston and Collins Street, and that's significant because Collins Street is where. Um, the big banks were all headquartered, right? And so when they took that action, it was was on the bank's behalf. And and they were basically saying, no, no, we're not going to let, we are not going to let the government uh, exert power over banking for the people. And so Chifley and the cabinet realised, well, they're going to keep chipping away here Mm. and just slice a death by a thousand cuts. They will take our our Commonwealth banking powers and just slice it up. Mm. So we're going to nationalise them. Yep, and that—that's—he felt forced and
1: into it, but that's why they did it. It was an exceptionally detailed policy. There was no one going to be left behind. No one was going to lose out on this, except the power of the private banks. Yep. and you know Menzies, the the Prime Minister for banks in yes, 1947, right. he basically accused Chifley of being wanting to become a dictator like Hitler and Mussolini. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to He's read taking this. away
0: the civil rights of banks, was he?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> And what what, Kurt, uh, what Chifley said, which was very interesting, he said, and this is from a speech that he gave on the parliament after there was a, uh, noted, uh, a motion put up by uh, Menzies, a no, uh, motion of no confidence in the government, mm. and, and uh, Chifley says, Mr. Menzies says that the totalitarianism of Hitler and Mussolini started in the way that his government is acting. I remind Mr. Menzies that f- that far from Hitler and Mussolini nationalising the banks, the facts is that the banks financed them. (laughs) Nazism and fascism, with their totalitarianism, was fostered by the banks. Those are the facts. But they have no particular bearing on this exercise by the parliament of the powers conferred on it by the people. In other words, his moving to to nationalise the banks was done because you have an elected government and he went to an election on this, and the people have voted him in, yeah. we are going to nationalise the banks because the banks want us. And here you have uh, you know, Menzies completely, like they do, twist history, saying, yeah. no, this is, and this is fear and politics.
0: The banks are the fascist power. Right? That's the problem. That, that's what he was saying. So what we're calling them, in this particular case, we're focusing on one part of that, we're calling them big game hunters because <laughs> following on from the Commonwealth Bank victory this week, on Wednesday and Thursday, the House Economics Committee, which is a very powerful committee of the Parliament, under Chairman Dr. Daniel Molino, they had their annual um, hearings for the bank's CEO. So ANZ and NAB um, came and gave testimony on Wednesday and CBA and um, uh, Westpac on Thursday. Now, this was fascinating how it played out, Craig, because there were a couple of themes. one of the themes that came up, which I want to start with first, is these was was about financial scams because this is becoming a huge problem, and we've been on on this issue on our show for a while now because of the way it relates to the branch closures question. Right, you take away the branches, and you've got these vulnerable customers that are forced into this digital jungle, and the banks want it that way, but but. Listen to how oh so sincere they actually are. I want to play a clip now of um, the National Australia Bank CEO, Ross McEwen, because he was asked about scams and he gave this answer. And my God, I mean, you know, the, the sincerity dripping out of this guy could have been bottled and sold. But listen to what he says about the seriousness of this problem and what should be done about it.
2: Yeah. Look, um, this is a global epidemic that's hitting us, and these are sophisticated, organised global criminals. And unfortunately, I can't communicate on my own. Um, we all have to take a big Australian moment here, and you know we welcome the government's work on this, and we're going to have to keep pushing hard into it. We have been communicating through pretty much all of our channels to all of our customers to the extent of also having our bankers, our business bankers, ringing our business customers and having conversations with them on that one-for-one relationship base. And still we have customers who um, get um, taken in by incredibly um, believable human beings saying they are a bank or something else and give their money away and hit on those links. So I think this has got to be a full Australian press on this from government, telcos, ourselves, major uh, social media companies, newspapers. Everybody has to be in on this because it, the message, unfortunately, is not getting through, as it should be. Now, every time I'm in with a group of customers, this is a topic I will raise with them. I had two sessions, as I said, and Um, Queensland recently where 120 customers in the room having a drink and this was one of the big topics and we've just got to keep it at that level about never give away your PIN, never give away your passwords, never, you know, click on links, never. And I think we've got to get to these very, very simple messages. If you go into our website now and you're making, or into our site uh, mobile and you're making payments, you know, we're Throwing things up at you, are you sure? You know, and we've seen some success with that, but not the level of success that we need yet.
0: Now, that like there's a guy, Craig, who has your and my best interests at heart. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, sure. He is he is going around Australia preaching the gospel of save yourself from scams, save yourself from scams. But he is a sanctimonious fraud, an utter, utter fraud. And here's the proof. If you need proof, that what I just said probably resonates with you already. <laughs> if you need proof, in 2021, his bank, NAB, was part of the same regional banking task force we talked about a little while ago, right, that, that um, the, the coalition set up. They were part of it. Mm. They were on the task force, which means they received this information from a submission from the Berrigan Shire Council, and Berrigan Shire co- co- covers um, Tokenwall and that area of southern New South Wales on the Murray River. Um, so the CEO of Berrigan Shire, Karina are sorry, Karina, apologies for that, um, wrote this information in a submission to that task force which NAB received. Remember, just before I read it, remember what he said, he's telling everyone, don't Give over your PIN. Don't give out your password. He said the customer has a role in this. In other words, the customer is also responsible for not being scammed. That's what he's saying, right?
1: That's caveat emptor again. That's
0: caveat emptor. They, yeah. All the bank CEOs said that. But anyway, so this is what he's saying. Don't give out your PIN. Don't give out your password. This is what he received from, his bank received from the Berrigan Shire Council. There's the, the paragraph was this. Quote, older, oh, sorry. In res- the Berrigan shire Council submitted this in response to the closure of branches in the shire that were nab branches. Hmm. They were nab branches that were closed. His bank's branches. This is what they were told. Quote, Older Australians and vulnerable Australians are now reliant on neighbours and family to assist them with banking services. Council's experience has and continues to include people requesting assistance through our libraries and through our customer service counter, particularly where family are no longer living in this community. Those individuals require assistance with setting up banking services on personal digital devices. To do so, they must rely on the honesty and integrity of a third party, usually family, friend or neighbour, and as stated, sometimes council staff exposing private information and banking details. Changes forced on these citizens are thereby exposing vulnerable Australians to fraudulent use of their funds with no protection for any losses incurred. Such access is contrary to designs of internet banking conditions, and yet there are technically no alternatives for these people. They were warned. That they are—that That is exactly what is happening because of that guy. People out there in Australia have handed over the very thing that can see them robbed and this is no reflection on the staff or, or whatever. It's just that's the risk. And by the way, Craig, if the unthinkable did happen and those people were taken advantage of and NAB found out that they had handed over their password, that guy would say, not our problem. This is the kind of These are the kind of cretins in charge of our banks. These are, and I'm calling them big game hunters because they want us in the digital jungle. And yes, there's other predators in the digital jungle. They know that. That's what he was just complaining about. But they're the big game hunters because when we're in the digital jungle, they can can, um, knock us off at will. That's how the banking model works in Australia. And they don't give a stuff. And they're lucky I'm not elected member of parliament on that committee. That I'll, I'll say something nice about that committee in a second. Because the every time, when you know the details of this, these, every time they open their mouths, these people give us more ammunition. And that's one example. And then the re- most ridiculous part about this whole discussion of scams from NAB is what he said about don't click on links. And it was only this month or something, only this month, did NAB stop sending out links links in text messages? Only this month. And he was asked about that, and of course he he sort of fobs it off. They have been encouraging, setting up customers to be vulnerable to this sort of thing. They have been setting them up to be vulnerable to this sort of thing. Now, of course, the bigger way they've been setting them up, Craig, and this is the digital jungle stuff, is um, by closing branches. Like that Berrigan Shire Council example has happened all around Australia where the vulnerable customers are being forced out of branches, the certainty of face-to-face banking, into this digital jungle. There wouldn't be, he called it an epidemic, mm. there wouldn't be an epidemic if there hadn't been an epidemic of branch closures because the most vulnerable people who are the most gullible to this electronic stuff, like my father, who would never in a million years see it coming, wouldn't even be thinking about, you know, with their thumbs, oh, how does this work? It would, they wouldn't be in that universe. They would, every day or every week, be faithfully going to the bank and getting their money out and putting their money in and doing their banking that way. Thank you very, very much. Hmm. Right? It wouldn't even be an issue. They, those people have made it an issue. Their sanctimony is utterly sickening.
1: If they were so concerned or so um, you know, really concerned about this, Robbie, then the onus should be placed back on them like it has now been in the United Kingdom. Yes, which is, the key, the key here is that the banks are now responsible for refunding their customers for any money that they're scammed from, or a large majority of it. Now, the point is here... Which is, which is
0: now running at about 66% of the money that, um, or the customers who are scammed in the UK get their money reimbursed. 66%. And the equivalent figure in
1: Australia is 2%. And that's, so that you start to think, well, if the banks... Were forced under legislation to be to uh, actually refund the scammed money to their customers. How would the policy change? <laughs> you might have a few more branches around. You think? Well, that's because the point is exactly, that yeah, yeah. It, this this is where this caveat emptor policy has to be turned on its head. All the beware is on the customer side instead of on the bank side. That's right, mm. and that's what's been recognised in the UK at the sixty-six percent versus two percent ratio, why not have the banks wear the responsibility for the products they are selling? Well, so Craig, um, the Labor member for
0: Benelong, Jeremy Laxalle, asked all the banks, would they consider doing here what the UK has done? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to we'll compile a clip. I'll get the producer to do it. He's a, he's a smart guy. We're going to run a clip now of all four CEOs answering. It's the same question he asked all of them. They all answered pretty much the same way. So my understanding is there's multiple banks and I'm happy to do some more research on that. So they signed up to a voluntary, many have signed up to a voluntary code. And as I said, the first one was TFG in 2019, where customers get a a refund of money lost to scammers. In Australia, we estimate about two to 5% is refunded. In the UK, it's about 66% and laws are coming in next year. Um, As I said, that started as a voluntary code um, if I went ahead and wrote a similar code um, and put it on your desk next week, would you sign uh, a voluntary code to refund some of your customers in certain circumstances?
3: No. No, I would. I would be happy to engage in a conversation of what the implications of that would mean. I'd be very cautious about the unintended consequences of that. What will happen? I think where the real concern is the way this. You know, this is a complex issue. There are no simple answers uh, to this. It's fine to say, make the banks pay for it. We can have that discussion. As I said, that doesn't stop the scams. In fact, you could argue that what we, you know, what we need to do is consumers need to be, we need to have better education around, don't um, um, send money to people you don't know, etc. So we've got to do a better job on education. We are investing in more technology to stop scams, to detect them, etc. But I think, you know, with due respect, a simplistic answer of just saying, make the banks pay for it, does not solve the problem. It just moves the problem somewhere else. And the unintended consequence, potentially, is people will be even less careful about falling for scams. Scammers will still make the money, and now we've just socialised the cost uh, of that.
2: Uh, I happened to be up there in the UK when they started um, working through what banks pay. Uh, to customers uh, back in I think it was the conversation was two thousand and eighteen came into effect in two thousand and nineteen yeah. in the voluntary code. Right. Yeah. Um, I was actually um, against that scheme and because I did not believe it would stop the scams and If you have a look at the volume of scams they 've continued to go up because what you 've done is not gone after the root cause, and I think we need to go after the root cause of this. And we also need to make sure that customers you know, really do play their part and stop you know, clicking on links and all those things. We all have to hold hands together, including customers and banks and, as I've said, telcos and the government.
3: I mean, look, it's a, certainly our aim to be a, a leader in this area, and I think that's uh, very important. Look, I, without getting into the sort of the minutiae, um, I think there are definitely some limitations with the UK experience. As I said, at least the data that I've seen scams have continuing to increase since 2019 in the UK. Um, you know, and, and perhaps, and I'm, I don't, you're not suggesting this sort of simply, um, I know one institution went down that path, but uh, having it sort of at the feet of the financial institutions um, hasn't proven to be an effective strategy. Well, in, uh, the ABA is having this discussion at the moment on a on a code. Um, I, I think in isol- I, I don't think we should do a banking code in isolation of
1: social media, uh, telcos, financial services, and then there, there needs to be some
3: requirements on how the customer acts as well. So,
0: in other words, Craig, no, this is going to cost us money. No, yeah, that's right. It's Again, not in the customer's interest. It
1: upsets our <laughs> profit margins. We can't give it back to our shareholders. You know, that's all we're interested in, not the general welfare or the general functioning of the economy. And see that's how many times
0: being... they cited. They don't say caveat emptor, but that's what they're saying. Exactly. The ANZ guy there, Shane Elliott, saying, oh, you know, they won't learn how to spot... If, if we cover their, their scams, they won't learn how to spot... Them.
1: And that, I mean, Robbie, just by... I mean, the Bendigo Bank changed their security this week. Right. I went... And I'm reasonably sophisticated. I do all the computer upgrades and monitoring in this office. I couldn't do it. Really? I couldn't do it. When I went to do it, something happened. My phone wouldn't work. I had to ring up the Bendigo Bank. Oh, sorry, but your wait will be between 45 minutes and an hour. Leave a callback number. So they did call back. and We got it fixed within about two minutes. There used to be a Bendigo Bank branch right, down yeah, here. Yep. And The problem there also is you can go into a branch, but they can't deal with internet banking at the branch. Yeah. And the other problem is that a number of these high interest bank accounts that you're now being offered by the banks mm-hmm. are totally internet. The, ben- the, the branches can't deal with those accounts. But that's, that's just an arbitrary construct the banks have put on them. Don't? Well, that's, that's because... That's yeah, they they, they want to use they, that they to lure you into digital banking. Exactly. But you, they can't touch these accounts. Uh, right? You can't go to that branch and say, I want to take X amount of money out of my internet-based account at the counter.
0: Craig, you're you supposed do to be it. my foil to calm me down, not stir me up. <laughs> All right. But while we're on this subject, there's a few other things I wanted to nab. I want to play this this short clip here um, because under questioning about, oh, 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 I want to say something about the chairman. I think the chairman of this hearing, Daniel Molino, Doctor Daniel Molino. Now, I don't know much about. Um, I mean, I know something about his his, his background in the. Or his reputation—he's sort of like seeing there's this rising star. He's got some economics degree or whatever, um, and so. But that's all I knew, and I'm usually sceptical of that sort of thing. But also, because I spent a lot of time going to Parliament and meeting members of Parliament, I've learned not to be too prejudgmental, right? You you can be pleasantly surprised at the kind of pers- people that you um you talk to. In this case, though, what actually was clear in this hearing is, he's the chair, so he sort of sets the agenda, and. The, 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 um, the questions to all the banks were pretty much identical. They had the same members of the committee there. They all asked the same types of questions to the banks. Um, and he opened the question each time. And what he would do is, he, his first question would be about the bank's CEO's comment on the state of the economy, and that took about 10 minutes. And then when he got down to the nitty gritty of questioning the banks over its practices, what did he start with? Branch closures. And I found this fascinating because what it means is, the campaign that we've been part of that's got up this Senate inquiry, it is now shaping the whole debate in Australia. That's why this was this they led with branch. He prioritises branch closures, and he also showed um, uh, Daniel Molino, the chairman, also showed that he is a a, a digital skeptic. Hmm. He under, he sees through the claims that oh, everyone wants to embrace digital, and the example that he kept using with these CEOs was well hang on a minute. Of course, people are going digital and all that's true. But don't say there's not a demand for face-to-face. And he used the example of his own electorate office, because he gets lots of emails too, from people in his Victorian electorate, emailing him about issues. But he also gets lots of people coming in off the street and wanting to talk to him over the counter and his staff face-to-face, because that's what they need, right? And he points out that Surely the banks are the same. Then he said, so then he asked this question. I'm not going to play the question, but I'm going to play the answer. He asked the question to um, National Australia Bank. He said, so you know, um, I'm sure there's other reasons people are going into the banks, into your banks, to uh, to, to to interact with you. It's not just getting cash or, or depositing cash. And, and he said, I'm sure you keep figures on that. Then he got this answer. Roll the tape. So,
3: I think if one was to think about banks 50 years ago, people would think about somebody coming in, going to a counter, withdrawing cash, you know, walking out, or coming in and depositing cash and walking out. But I'm just wondering, um, of the data you collect about branch activity, like, obviously that kind of engagement has reduced, but what about people coming into the bank to um, talk to somebody at the bank to help them navigate the digital system? Like, I mean, how many interactions are there of a different nature... Um, and I, I imagine, you know, you'd probably record that, all the different kinds of things people do when they come in.
2: Some of that will be recorded and some of it won't, but I'll pass to Rachel because Rachel has the information. It's her network and she sees what's coming in and out every day. But yeah. maybe the, if you can um, take...
1: It's a great question. And those, those interactions that aren't, um, don't result in a transaction, they're, they're actually very challenging to, to measure. Um, we don't measure them.
0: Now... What you just heard that NAB executive woman say is what Dale Webster, the independent journalist, exposed last week. She just admitted, and maybe because she knows the cat's out of the bag thanks to Dale's article, they can't afford to hide it. She admitted what was uniquely exposed by Dale Webster on the regional, and then we reported on this show on Thursday, that NAB has been lying, by um, implicitly lying in its paraphernalia Justifying its branch closures because it is only giving the figure of deposits and withdrawals. It is not counting any other visit to the branch because they don't count them. They get mm-hmm. their data off a computer and the computer doesn't record you going in and asking for help with your di- with your online bank account or you re- re- going in and changing your. Um, your signatures or all those other things you do, right? Activating a card, it doesn't record any of that. They can't get that data. They're not interested in that data, and so they've been giving false data to justify their branch closures. She admitted it. Dale Webster, you were spot on the money, and now you've forced a NAB to admit that in a hearing in the um, uh, the House Economics Committee last this week, right? Um, and that's the bottom line. There's a, this, you know, these banks are showing their intention, and they're, they're, as as we're putting focus on this. The the, uh, the the dishonesty behind that intention is coming to the fore, um, but then finally I got to do I got to do a call out to there was uh, there's a, there's a there's a group of warriors they call themselves bank warriors um, that go to these hearings they go to as many hearings as they can and they go to a- AGMs as well and they they, they go w-
1: after the big game hunters
0: they go after the big game hunters right <laughs> yeah yeah because they're the big game hunters we're the game but our campaign Craig, that yeah. and our collaborators, we're the rangers, right? We are the people that are in there with our own guns and pointing them at these at these uh, poachers, right? Um, so this is what the bank warriors do, and they have these bow ties. We've covered them on the show a few times um, over the last few years. They're all bank victims themselves, but themselves. But to their credit, they don't just focus on their own circumstances. They're, being a bank victim is what's forced them into this area. But they're, they're, they do what they do for the good of all of Australia, right? So they were stand, they, they, there's a row of them behind the ANZ. They were behind. They were sitting in, in there for the, all the hearings. So I want to play the clip where Daniel Molino asked the ANZ CEO about branch closures. Now, so listen to what the CEO says. Look at his body language, right? And just when he drops the key, the key figure. You'll see what he does with his hand, right? He clearly, I think a uh, a, 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 sign, a body language person would have a field day with his body language. But then look at uh, the the bank warriors behind him.
3: I'm just interested in a, a kind of time series of branch closures over the last five years, mm-hmm. um, and then also what the distribution of that is by regional and metro. Sure, I can give you the headlines for that. So. Since you know, going back to since I've been CEO, so since 2017 as a baseline, and then we had 678 branches. Today, we have as of a week ago 391. Um, so, we've been closing branches pretty steadily through that. Although, to be fair, the data we the closures were more concentrated in the early part of that period than the latter. So sorry, the last when, was, when was the 678? Uh, 2017, 17, right. Yep, yeah, so um, if I think about over the last couple of years. So in 2021, we had 426 branches, and as I said today, 391. So the rate of closure is actually slowing, if if that makes sense. Um, If you look at the distribution of the 391 branches we have today, 250 of them are in what we would define as major cities, or is what generally accepted there. 75 are in in inner regional Australia, 47 in outer regional, and 19 are in remote or very remote Australia. Now, if you look at the Closure rate. Most of the closure has actually happened in the major cities. And again, I, it's, you know, your classic Collins Street where we would have had five branches in the past, now we have three. That's where the, the bulk has been. There's been essentially no closures in remote or very remote Australia. Um, and you know, regional somewhere in the somewhere in the middle. And it's look, it's responding to what customers are doing. It's really depending on what their behavior, how their behaviour changes and their usage of branches and responding to foot traffic.
0: Yeah, so Craig, what the person you saw that—that's Moira and Craig Caulfield, mm-hmm. right? And Moira's expression, love you, Moira. That was classic, right? This is—I mean—that guy said, "Oh, this is not a big deal. Yeah, we've just closed half our branches." And then talk about the spin—the absolute spin that he puts on them later. I'm not going to play the whole clip, but um, you know, oh, most of these ones are in the city, and that's your—that's your Collins Street. There was five branches, and now down to three. Collins Street is the big banking headquarters in Melbourne. There's not hundreds of Collins streets around Australia. Give me a break, right? I mean that does not account for their branch closures at all. They just spin, spin, spin all the time. Um, and of course, along with NAB, ANZ is the worst behaved in terms of, of what we've, in terms of the inquiry we've got up. And then he told an outright lie. And the outright lie is he said we haven't closed any. What you had just heard him say there, we haven't closed any remote branches at all. But these are definitions, and. As Dale Webster has already revealed on Twitter, yes, they have. He lied. They, they had 25 remote branches. Now they're down to 19. In other words, 24% were closed. 24% almost a quarter. And he goes before that committee and says, we haven't closed any. Right? That's, that's, the, that's what you're dealing with. Um, and what it, what it shows you, Craig, is uh, we, we having, we're having victories because we're putting the, the spotlight on them. But we still need the. Uh, there's no. We, we cannot ever believe that that um, it's in behaviour modification, we need a government bank. We need a national bank.
1: We need yeah, Robin. That's why th- this issue is not going to go away. It's the issue back in the 1940s with Chifley. He wanted to nationalise the banks for the purposes of providing for the general welfare and the public good. What you see with the banks today is they've got no interest in that. It's all profit. It's exactly the same issues and. It, and we haven't had a political class yet, although it's still developing around us, that can stand up and say that we've had enough. Yep. And and the cost of this it would be to nationalise the entire system, bring it back under government control, but it's a private banking cartel, international global financial dictatorship, as we've said many times. So therefore the, the enemy is quite large, but... When you start to get many more people involved, their, their powers are, are very, very much truncated and weakened, as we've seen.
0: And just to be, just to, just to be clear, um, Chifley was a hero for what he tried to do. We're not proposing nationalising the whole system. We would, we would happily have got him behind Chifley on that fight. But just a national bank that they're Lovely forced enough. to compete with. Well, right. that's well the original, they don't have the monopoly on it.
1: That was the original idea of that, the Commonwealth That's all Bank. he
0: wanted, yeah. That's all they were. But because those banks set out to destroy that, yeah. that's why he thought,
1: well, okay, well, that is more important than your existence. You're going to chip away, as you said before, you're yeah. going to chip away at everything we try to do with the Commonwealth Bank, so let's get rid of that problem, yeah. nationalise the entire system. And it was a very, very detailed speech that he uh, he gave in Parliament. It must have gone for about two hours, yeah. where he went through all the nuts and bolts of how it would be done. It was exceptionally well <laughs> thought out. None all right, that, now
0: um, we've we'll spent a bit of time on that subject, Craig. Let's we've got, we've got two other things to cover, um, so we'll have to be somewhat brief, but that's okay. Um, that you know we can we can do that. So happy one hundred twenty birthday one hundred twentieth birthday, George. Australian government goes all well on the people, and um, we just got a legal analysis on the government's new communications draft communications legislation amendment. Combating Misinformation and Disinformation Bill 2023.
1: And we're going to cover that in the alert services this, this week. We,
0: yeah. So I'm going to be... Um, this is the analysis, and we'll publish it in our alert service. Um, but we're, we're going to put a link below to the exposure draft consultation process. And there's about 23 days as of now. So think of when you're watching this, about 20 days in which to get in your submission to say no to this bill, if you agree with what um, uh, I'm about to say, but our legal analyser, um Bob Butler, uh, who he, he made the point that this is the, this year is the 120th birthday of George Orwell, and the point about George Orwell is he wrote 1984, which was about a government, an authoritarian government regulating the truth, mm. right? The government regulated the truth. And that's exactly what this bill is going to do because um, essentially there's three words you need to be aware of that encapsulates this bill. Misinformation, which is false information that's not deliberate. Disinformation, which is false information that is deliberate. And harmful, right? Each of those words can be interpreted as you wish, right? They They are... They are loopholes through which you could drive a truck. They can be expanded as wide or as small as you like. And those three words, those combination of three words will define how this bill, uh, the, how this power is used to censor social media in Australia. Now, sometimes Craig, I'm, I'm, act, you know, I'm someone who's active on Twitter, not so much Facebook, but I use Facebook a bit. Um, of course, we use youtube we 've been a, a pioneering show political show in Australia on YouTube um, sometimes I pine for the days when we didn 't have any of this <laughs> i mean I was thirty I was thirty before I got my first phone, and you bought it for me <laughs> as a present um,
1: that 's why we need donations <laughs> <laughs>
0: i 'm not thirty anymore that was eighteen years ago right um, and in that, in those eighteen years, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've now got the phone on the table with me. It's on do not disturb. It's, uh, it's, it's just just for the record. It's here so the CIA can get the show directly. Yeah, good. And early. Yeah, no, that's why it's here. By the eyes. The, the National Security Agency. Yeah, yeah. We want them to know. We we want to win them over to our side. <laughs> um, no, so you know, so you can pine for that and think, you know, oh for the days when we just did things the way we used to. In those days, we raised a lot of money to print literature, and we would do million million print runs of our New new Citizen newspaper, right? Um, The internet allows you to do things a lot more efficiently, in a sense, right? So it is what it is now, and so social media is a phenomenon now, and that's where people communicate. Um, And it can be used for bad or good, right? But, But some of that, unfortunately, depends on your perspective, if it's being used for bad or good. But I think one thing I, can, I could say more objectively is one of the things social media has done that wasn't possible before, except with great effort, is break the monopoly of the corporate mainstream media, mm. right? So that now an, an organisation like ours has an outlet, a regular outlet, where more people are engaging with us more often than we would ever have been provided through the media because for years the media blacked us out right so the media is corp- you know it's, it's corporate controlled or it's state controlled um, either way and they can suppress all sorts of information social media is a lot more free than that and that's allowed a lot greater discussion but yeah in, in the middle of that is misinformation and disinformation for sure and one of the points that our, that Bob Butler makes is that anybody can point to any number of things online that shouldn't be there. Mm. There's lots of stuff. Um, But when you come up with a law that's so broad that you have to use these three terms that can be interpreted very, very broadly, the benefit, any benefit you may get from taking down the few bits of, forcing down the few bits of harmful, actually harmful content, that as if the, the companies are not going to do that. The most extreme stuff they're going to do anyway, yeah. right? Any benefit you get is completely outweighed by what you lose by being able to destroy freedom of, politi- freedom of speech and especially freedom of political speech. That's the issue here, right? Um, and uh, uh, I'll just read you some of the, some of the excerpts from this uh, quite quickly. Um, uh, this, is, this is how the definitions work. For misinformation to be covered by the bill... It must be, quote, reasonably likely that it would cause or contribute to serious harm. For harm to be serious, it is intended it must have severe and wide-ranging impacts on all Australians. And you can see there that every time they try and define something, they introduce more terms that are open for interpretation, right? This is this is the problem. Um, examples provided in the bill include inciting hatred. vandal, and, and inciting hatred, that might mean something really, really terrible. Or it might mean us saying, hang on. The Ukrainians in Melbourne who are campaigning for Melbourne to drop its sister city um, relationship with St. Petersburg because uh, that's in Russia, those Ukrainians are not sincere actors because the man who led the protest, and this is true, Stefan Romanu is the leading bandera in the world, the, the Bandera being the, the, the main Nazi collaborator in World War II responsible for genocide.
1: But see, the, right? it doesn't matter whether that's that true. That could be hate street. That, but that doesn't... That, that could be totally true. Yep. But as far as the government is concerned, that would be considered disinformation because yes. it doesn't fit their narrative. Exactly. That's where the problem is. How do you define what is dis- disinformation? Well, it defines, it's defined by who is defining it because we <laughs> happen right. to agree with that because we've got the proof we know it's true. Yep. But the government doesn't want to let people hear that so they say, oh, no, that's just information from the Citizens Party. We don't want to yep. push that out. Yep. And, and then, this is where the problem comes. And, and so, and what the social media
0: companies will do is shut down any oh, ability say, to put that up. What, what they'll
1: right? say, look, you know, we want to keep our uh, advertising stuff going. We want to, don't want to upset things. We'll yep. just shut it down anyway.
0: So let me read this section. As to the bill overall, it has been noted that George Orwell wrote the book 1984 in which a totalitarian government regulated the truth. And that it is quite a coincidence that on Orwell's 120th birthday, the Australian government has announced it would introduce legislation which heads down that path here in Australia. That comment is reinforced by section two of the bill in its definition of excluded content for misinformation purposes means any of the following. Let me just, excluded content for misinformation purposes. What this bill doesn't cover, what will never be called misinformation, means any of the following. E, content that is authorized by the Commonwealth or a state or a territory or a local government. In other words, anything authorized by government cannot be held to be misleading. And he goes on to say one only has to consider the government position on the Iraq invasion or during the COVID period or the background behind what is presently occurring in Ukraine. The government position cannot be classed, classed as misleading, unlike any position which opposes the government line. Yeah. Right. So this is a dangerous uh, law. And what you can do, and a lot of people are doing this now, but please do it as well. Click on the link below. It'll take you to the, the website of this exposure draft, and you can see there where you can upload a, um, a submission. And when I, when we say submission, you know, plenty of you are uh, experienced with that now. It doesn't have to mean something written by a Pitt Street lawyer, right? Just ba- basically make it a letter from you saying you object to this law. And the final thing I'll say from our legal analyst is he said he actually cannot think of a way to constructively improve this bill. Um, And therefore, it does nothing to contribute to a better Australia, it should be scrapped. Uh, As as we've always said with these national security type laws, Craig, that we've had for the last 20 years, end them, don't amend them, right. right? So make that point, get rid of this bill, and if enough people do, it'll be the first shockwave. Now we, this is how we defeated the cash ban. In 2019, when the cash ban was, bill was revealed late on a Friday afternoon um, and it came to our attention via the economist John Adams, it was John Adams, Martin North and us who first started blowing the whistle on this thing. We had two weeks then to get ex- to get submissions to the exposure draft of that bill. We knew in those two weeks we got a lot of submissions. We didn't know how many, how many but Aaron Isherwood in our office did an FOI later in the year over 6,000 exposure draft submissions were made on that bill. And that was the first shockwave in Parliament. And Then members of Parliament started speaking up and then over the course of the next um, year, we got an an inquiry and then we got the bill completely dumped, right? So please make submissions to this exposure draft now. Click on the link below. Finally, the case of the ungrateful little proxy upstart. And... um, we're actually talking about Volodymyr Zelensky because that's how he was treated this week mm-hmm. at the NATO summit. So that 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 image you've seen of Elbo giving him a, a a cuddle just you know think the godfather, think good fellas, right? Mm-hmm. Think the mafia. That that's all it is. I mean, this guy has been used, his country has been used, and he's just starting to discover that. Um
1: by the way, Used to the point of costing us nine, over nine hundred million dollars well, now, Craig. I mean that—that—that's eye-watering, nearly a billion dollars, Robbie. And the hypocrisy is—that's what we've done at
0: this day You know, we
1: heard this morning figures that you know the applications for social housing in Victoria have jumped from forty-five thousand to sixty-six thousand, sixty-four thousand. And you know, you start to look at nine hundred million dollars yep. to send weapons to a war that shouldn't be happening, yep. but it's in the American interest again. How many houses? How many units, how much accommodation could be purchased for $900 million? Yep.
0: And which one, where, are s- the,
1: where are the priorities? And when you
0: say the war shouldn't be happening, whatever your view of the, of the legitimacy or morality of, of Vladimir Putin instigating it in February last year, by April, Zelensky had agreed to a negotiated settlement. It could have been over in two months and the agreement would have allowed Russia to keep the part that Russian speakers had controlled since 2014, and um, but it would have required Zelensky to commit to being uh, uh, never joining NATO, neutral, always a neutral player, never joining NATO, right? That's what it re- would have required. And the Americans and Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson flew in there to Zelensky and said, you're not gonna accept that agreement. You are gonna keep this war going. Because the people that have been using him, they said it. I mean, the, the guy, I'm not being sorry. I'm not feeling sorry for Zelensky. He's a moron. Look at the. Ph- we'll put these photos up from the actual NATO event where he's sort of. And, and I'll, I'll get the producer to put in some of the funny meme ones as well, where he's he's there alone, um, uh, all all lonely and on his own, um, because uh, he's just been used. And he was too dumb to know it, right? But they said it from the beginning. There were people saying, people in the U.S. Congress saying, "We're fighting the Russians over in Ukraine." Right, mm. so that we don't have to fight them here. This all this sort of stuff they used to use for terrorism. And I want to read what, ha- what, what, what this is in the Washington Post today, right? So be- this is not this is behind all the all the the nice um, soft reporting you get on a television news, for instance. The Washington Post headline today was: Zelensky's angry tweet about NATO roiled the White House and nearly backfired on the Ukrainian leader. Officials say. Quote, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's challenge this week to NATO leaders on the glacial pace of his country's entry into the alliance so roiled the Biden White House, the top officials involved in the process considered scaling back the invitation for Kyiv to join, according to people familiar with the matter. Because they're they're not going to let him join. Biden said before the NATO summit, there's no way Ukraine is going to join in the middle of a war, because if they let Ukraine join in the middle of a war, that means NATO is at war and there is a faction in America and Britain that knows that that is World War Three, right? And they don't want to, some of them are prepared to risk it, some of them are not prepared to risk it, and Biden's one is not prepared to risk it at the moment. Um, but Zelensky, but it goes against all the sort of, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, stringing along of Zelensky that they've done for the last two years, mm. right? And so he was there at, at Kiev saying, you know, let me in, let me in, let me in. And they turned on him, Behind the scenes, but this is what's coming out now. That little up, like he's a little punk. Get in, get in your place, mate. Right? He's been used, and he was too dumb to know. it And there's 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 about twenty five. Actually, I'll say something. There's about twenty. The official figures. These are the official figures. About twenty five thousand Ukrainian civilians have been killed for the duration of the whole war. Twenty five thousand. What that tells you, and that's tragic, and that's because of this. But I'll tell you what else it tells you, Craig. That this war is nothing yet compared to what we and the Americans and the British did to Iraq in two, from 2003 onwards. It's not; it doesn't even touch the sides compared to how we destroyed that country and, the, and all the people that we killed, right? Yet look at the way. Listen, listen to the different kind of way it's reported, and the and the um, the hand wringing and you know the the moralizing. Oh, every time every time that weasel. Albanese he opens his mouth. He calls it Vlad- Vladimir Putin's illegal, immoral invasion of Ukraine. But if if Zelensky, if it came, if for Elbo Craig, it came down to a choice between backing up Zelensky or sucking up to Biden. What would you do?
1: Well. Suck up to Biden. Yep. And Biden, you know, has made a mistake the other day where he referred to the uh, Ukraine war as the Iraq war, Iraq war. <laughs> because I mean Biden was very heavily involved in promoting the need for Iraq war. Yep. So it's very much on his mind. And this is, I mean, in the United States now, this is starting to become a uh, very much larger issue. I mean, you have got the uh, advocate, you know, Robert F. Kennedy coming on, who's getting something like twenty percent of the support. But of course, he's being censored by the media, like and social media. He did a three-hour and five-minute interview on Spotify, which was an excellent uh, interview because it was a broad-based interview. Now, the point is, when you watch these things, you don't have to agree with everything that he says, but you also have to come from the point of view, well, maybe I don't know everything. And you have to be open to say, okay, well, it's interesting he's saying that. I don't know what his evidence is. But you can also gauge the intent with which he says it. And the intent was very, very, very good. Now... Because Spotify is what it is, they pay two hundred million dollars for that show to be on Spotify. Yeah. So there's a commercial interest here as well, but they come under enormous pressure to get it taken down. But they wouldn't. They said, "No, they haven't breached the conditions of which, of of, uh, of our um, of our company, and we're not taking it down." But they come under enormous pressure. And if
0: people haven't that. seen that, like people should watch that, especially the last hour on geopolitics and yeah, foreign especially policy. Especially
1: the last 45 minutes was absolutely exceptional.
0: And then, and the other one is, is Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s peace and diplomacy speech that he delivered a few weeks earlier, which is on YouTube. We can put the link to that below. Watch it. And I, can I tell you, I know at least four now nom- um, announced presidential candidates in America who are all an enemy of the military-industrial complex and, well, I don't want to overstate it, but they're all taking a position... and. Against the establishment of the Brits and the Americans on Ukraine and that is Donald trump Robert F Kennedy jr Marion uh, Williamson uh, who's going to be on the democrat side and um uh, oh, okay i'll get the i 'll get the producer to put the name up there it's a he's a great civil rights activist uh, he's not, uh, his names just escaped me right now people will know what i 'm talking about we 'll get the name put on the screen he 's also a presidential candidate, and they're all taking a position saying this this horrible war has to end and understand what caused it. And if they were in Australia under this law that we were talking about before, they'd all be shut down.
1: Yeah. We published in this week's alert service the whole article by Geoffrey Sachs, And I just about fell overboard when I read that. And I read the actual article before we published it. And I thought, wow. For someone like him to come out, opposing the geopolitical direction that we're taking, he basically says, why is Australia so stupid? And he's right. Why are we so stupid to be in lockstep with why the U.S. Indeed. government? And you know, just everything that the U.S. government says, you know, we just follow without any question. It's what Malcolm Fraser said about our dangerous allies, right? Exactly,
0: We're, and that's why. That's why forget every forget every bit of every word that that Albanese has said about what a great guy Zelensky is. He will. He's already throwing him under a bus. If the Americans are going to have to squash this guy because he's because he's just going to lose it and say you misled me, they'll squash him in a heartbeat, and elbow or turn his back on him in a heartbeat. Because we're such that the, the, the people in the two major parties in Australia are hardwired to be sycophants to the United States and the and the military industrial complex. Speaking of which, as we referenced at the beginning of the show, in the context of all this, that you know Biden announced he's going to sell cluster bobs to yeah. Ukraine, yeah. and the main thing about that is it just proves that. The Ukrainians are not winning. They're losing and they're losing badly. You, everything you've been told about this is a lie. And if you don't get it yet, rant and rave at me on the comments below and get it out of your system and then get your head out of your butt and realise it's a lie, right? Every Everything that happens in the real world in front of your eyes is proving it's a lie. And it was a lie from the beginning. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, um, your blood pressure might get Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you want, if you want um, to see what Craig was talking about with, with some of the content of the alert this week, you can call in and get a free copy. Um, uh, like I said, make a submission to the, to the bill. Follow that link below. We'll put some of the other links we talked about. Craig, thank you very much for joining us for this week's Welcome. episode. Welcome back. Yep. Don't be a stranger. Um, <laughs> buy Craig's jacket if you like it. Thank you for tuning in and tune in next week for more of The Citizen's Report.